Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Everybody, if you want to get your energy back, if you want to sleep better, block out the unhealthy effects of blue light on your mental health, on your physical health, then you need these incredible blue light blocking glasses called Blue Blocks. Other companies have these like mass produced products, but they have no understanding about how light impacts health. And that's one of the things I love about Blue Blocks is how much research they've done and how they are evidence backed. You can get free shipping worldwide and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash harmonics or enter code harmonics at checkout. That's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com slash harmonics for 15% off or just use the code harmonics. Hello, everybody. I have a very very special episode for you today. One of my biggest heroes just in life and in music is and was the incredible John Prine. We lost him last year at the very beginning of the pandemic to COVID-19 and his wife, an incredible woman, Fiona Prine, is on the show today. And I just loved our conversation Not only is Fiona an incredible mother, woman, and activist, she's had an incredibly successful career herself in the music industry. Fiona was the manager of a recording studio from her early working years back in Dublin, Ireland, and through raising a family and managing John through the years of his career. And she is now the president of Oh Boy Records. And we talked about everything there is to talk about, and I now consider her such a dear friend. And so without further ado, please enjoy Fiona Prime. Fiona, thank you so much. I've been such a fan of yours for so long. And congratulations on the Grammys. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I I know that must have been bittersweet, but amazing at the same time. It was wonderful and it was bittersweet. You know, it was, yeah. it was and different at home. Yeah. You know, I liked the at home part. I have to say, <laughs> I wished that I had been there because I would have gotten to see some of my pals, but um, getting dressed up at home and, and having a nice lunch delivered and not wearing shoes and 
Oh, the not wearing shoes thing I know, right? has been my favorite part of the pandemic for guests, yes. like having to do any sort of yeah. talk Yeah, I mean, it's just, or... so I enjoyed it and I thought they did a fabulous job. I really think the they Grammys did, a... did a wonderful job. And Brandy, who oh, we've had on Harmonix, Brandy Carlisle. Oh my gosh, her tribute was just beautiful to John. Yeah. And, she, oh. she invested all of herself in every word. You know, she truly, they had a sweet friendship. Yeah. Yeah. She's like one of those ones that like, I don't think you get better than that mm -hmm. in this business. She just seems, yeah, to be the best. She's such a pro. And then just to have her friendship as well as enjoy her art, you know, it's just such a gift. And we usually start with this podcast since it, it came on during 2020 mm -hmm. and everything, just asking like, how are you doing? <laughs> And you don't have to lie. You can be honest no, with me. Like, you if you're know, having a terrible day or, yeah, just like checking in. Today has been a good day. Today's been a good day. But a lot of times when I get asked that question, I really, what I want to say, I don't, a lot of, you know, what I want to say is, can, can, you, can you tell me? Because I, today, I don't know. I don't know how I am. And, um, you know, it's been a hard year. It's been a long arduous year but um you know i guess i have some good irish resiliency in me because here i am you know we're circling into that time right now where i was sick this time last year where john subsequently developed his illness covid and, and went in the hospital and so this is a kind of a tender time but i really feel him with me beth the last couple of days, I really do. Since like the Saturday before the Grammys, I st and I don't, I don't always have him like in my zone all the time because I'm working. I have a, we have a lot of projects. I'm, I'm a pretty busy woman, but I was going to say she's a pretty big deal uh, record uh, well, label owner producer. Yeah, I mean more about that later, but I have I have fantastic yes. help with the label. Um, but yeah, I'm busy, and so I think that does sometimes stop you know, the conduit for the spirit, shall we say, you know, just being busy and busy and getting pretty exhausted at night and going to bed and, okay, that was another day. But um, I don't know what happened. Just last Saturday, I just had this calm come all over me and I was excited. Um, and I think the idea that I was at home to watch this show, uh, which John would have loved, like nothing better win two grammys and in your gray sweatpants at home are you kidding me that was john like totally and <laughs> john I, and i would have been buds i know because look and what so, i'm wearing on the bottom right now sweatpants. <laughs> me too clean clean shirt though uh yes so me too i did i felt him really with me and i and i do even right now i feel him in a way that i haven't felt him so strongly with me in in some time so it's kind of sweet. I mean, it's very tender. Well, I have to tell you, because it's making me tear up. Um, so my grandma passed away about two days after John. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And right before this interview, I've been the same way. I've been really busy. And um, like like you said, when I go to bed at night, it's like, I've, I just crawl into bed because it's yeah. been so busy. But today I had like a slow day for the first time in a long time. And right before our interview, I was getting my water bottle ready and there were two hummingbirds at my hummingbird feeder and my like whole body was yeah. like 
Grammy and John. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I right? Like, I feel like they're here, but um, yes, yeah. And actually, my husband wanted me to tell you that the last so as you know, with COVID and everything. So we said goodbye on FaceTime. But when I said goodbye to her, uh, it was she wasn't with it or able to communicate verbally anymore. But sure. the mm. last memory we have two days before she passed of that week was we played her in spite of ourselves. My husband and I sang to make her laugh um, when she was sick. And so he was like, make sure you tell Fiona that. And so she had a really good sense of humor. A big sense of humor. Because <laughs> some of the older... Yeah, I remember the first time my mother heard that song and um, she was a little like, okay, okay, I love John and I guess I love that song. <laughs> she she definitely, it was very Catholic, but had yes. a great sense of humor and loved like John Prine's music. And yeah, it was, yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. But so when you feel that calm and that, or whatever we're talking about when I saw the hummingbirds, it's just a knowing that the like love and the spirit's still mm -hmm, there mm -hmm, for you. Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Absolutely. And, and you know, and it's the little personal things that only maybe I would know. But so for instance, John, I am a type personality. I mean, I'm just like, here I am, you know, I'm just, <laughs> there's no point in pretending otherwise. Um, and sometimes I do, I get overwhelmed because I take on too much. Um, I'm a perfectionist. I mean, all of those things. And I can hear John say to me, just chill, Fee, just chill. Cause that's what he would say. And, you know, it took me kind of many years to go, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, it doesn't matter if everything doesn't get done today. It doesn't matter if every phone call gets returned today. You know, there's a little bit of that sort of um, inverted ego. I don't know if you've ever heard about any of that stuff, but you know. Yes, oh, right. of course. <laughs> but, you know, just like, if I don't return this call, then I'm not gonna be taken, or I'm not gonna be taken seriously as a manager, as a woman, as a person in, in whatever business, because, you know, my hand is in a lot of different things right now. And so I've had to learn to trust myself and take care of myself. And, and that was, I think, John's greatest hope for me, honestly. Wow. When I say that out loud, I actually, it's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. Oh. What does that look like? Like for you, is there a go-to for taking care of yourself? Is there a certain practice or a book? or nature. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first thing that I have to do is I have to literally go to my calendar. <laughs> right, right. And it has to be like the written one. It has to be the written calendar. And so I have to go there and I have to take a big black mark or red or whatever color I can find and just mark it out, like out, not available um, for anything. Sometimes that's really all the way to, I'm not going to take that beloved conversation at 7 a.m. with my grandchildren. Right. I'm not going to take that early morning call. And it's not because I don't enjoy talking to them. My God, they've saved my life many, many times this year. It's that I want to be able to set the intention for the day 100% from where I'm at. Wow. So I'm not even, make, I'm not going to make any plans to talk to friends. Um, it may happen as the day ensues, but I don't set out going, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to do this, 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 no, the doing part. I'm just going to be, and I'm going to just follow. And often on those days, they're the sweetest days. The sweetest things happen. I'll meander into a room I haven't gone into in a while where John will have some of his things. John has things in every room. <laughs> 
which is very sweet now. Um, and I'll just find myself looking at stuff for going through his clothing and remembering things and but not not in a maudlin unhappy way necessarily and I will I mean I take care of myself I'll, I'll move on and I love to write thank you letters and, and cards by hand and I'll do so little of that and and it, you know what it is honestly I pay homage to my ADD is what I do yeah. right. <laughs> right. on those days <laughs> You know, I love myself. Yeah. But like to say that, to say I love myself and I'm going to take a full day where I, even my grandchildren, like mm -hmm. I put myself first is so almost like the most radical feminist, awesome thing I feel like we can do. And just like the yeah. most healthy thing you can do because mm -hmm. you can't show up for anyone else if you don't no, show up for you yourself. Can't. And especially yeah. people like us, the recovering perfectionists, or mm -hmm. like me, I get super anxious if I have a day with nothing productive, like, because that can I feel, happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. like, well, like you were saying, I, you know, the business, especially I'm in a different business than you, but I'm sure there's similarities between the music business and Hollywood, where it's like mm -hmm. almost that feeling of, I don't want to, I'm treading water. I don't want to get left behind. If I right. take time away, mm -hmm. is something going to drop that then will right. affect me later, right? Yes, and I, and you're a, a lot younger women, woman than I am, and so I could imagine that the pressure for that is greater. Mine is some of that um, performing as a businesswoman and taking care of everything, but then I also have the added piece of John's legacy yeah. and just how precious, unique, and wonderful that is. And so there's a little, um, there's a little anxiety that gets tagged on there. You know, am I making the right decision? Yeah. Um, is that a good sync license or not? Now, what would John, and there is always that moment, what would John say? What would John do? <laughs> and I often have tapped into that and I will often find the answer. You know, we knew each other pretty well. <laughs> I know. Is yeah. that just getting quiet and intuitively you just can feel what the right answer is? Yeah. Just kind of, okay, let's put my arguments and my pro and con lists to the side and, and let's put the, um, the business even to the side for a second. Like what would John's gut reaction be to this, to this product, this person, this situation. And um, very often, I would think almost all the time that the answer is there. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I find that, that for all of us, I feel like if we get quiet, the answer can usually come. Definitely. Yes. But it's hard yeah. to get quiet. <laughs> it is hard. And it's harder than you think sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll think that I'm having quietness and some uh, meditative time and suddenly kind of realize that I've got like a movie going on up here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I feel you on that. You know, I'm calling it daydreaming, but it's really not daydreaming. Daydreaming is a whole other delicious thing. This is more like, you know. <laughs> Visualizing, manifesting. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What will I do? What should I do? Uh, what can I do? What will I do tomorrow? Yeah. Were you always like that? I mean... First of all, your accent is my favorite accent in all of the world. The Irish <laughs> accent. I love it so much. I could never do it as an actress, which is probably why I love it. For some reason, it's like one I cannot tap into. Well, if you ever need tutoring, I'm your girl. I mean, I'll sound like Julie Andrews doing Cockney because I, I, that's all my Irish. Is like, what? It, what it, do, do, do it? Hello? Like, I can't do it at all. But for you growing up in Ireland was... Were you always the type A perfectionist? That's, you know, it's so interesting. Um, I have very strong connections to Ireland. My mom 
and my mother and my five sisters are still all over on that side of the pond. Right. I have one sister in, who lives in Portugal. Um, and I'm very close to all, of, all five of them. I have distinct relationships with all five. And I have, we all six together have a beautiful relationship. I mean, it's, but I have to say, you know, it was hewn out of a lot of pain. Yeah. A lot of trauma, a lot of difficulty when we were growing up. We lost my father when we, I was very young. I was the, I'm the oldest of all six of us. And when I was 13, my father was killed in a car crash. So I don't know that I would ever describe that I was a type or whatever. I was just a little trauma on two legs, <laughs> treading water, you know, and really trying to survive, I think would be the truest thing to say. Um, I'm not speaking for my sisters, but I think they would all, and we all have recognized those similar parts of our stories over the years where, um, yeah, it was very difficult. Difficult for my mother. She was 36 years old. With all of you. Yes, yeah. and she'd never worked outside the home. We lived in a little blink of a beautiful little blink of a village in uh, the Donegal Hills on the, in the oh. Northwest. I mean, it's, you know, and that's all we ever knew. There was nothing else. I mean, we knew there was a world out there. My father was our uh, teacher. And he was a wonderful wow. educator and he was never off. So there was never like, so we went to school with him in the morning and most all of us, I think, got to go through his grades that he taught. I know I did, went through all of them. And then um, at home, he never stopped. You know, it was the homework and speaking in Gaelic and, you know, look at that mountain over there, Fee. Okay. <laughs> You know, 500 years ago, a glacier came down the side of that thing. And, and it was, you know, I look back now and it was wonderful. And I think part of the trauma at the time of losing him so suddenly and unexpectedly, he was a young, healthy 40-year-old man with six little girls and, and a beautiful wife. And, and I don't want to overpaint the picture of perfection. We were a family that had definitely our own narrative, our own story, our own struggles. But it was, it was a huge trauma when he, the day that he died. Um, but when I look back on it now, I just think what a gift to have had that early education from him. I think I'm, it's safe to say, because I'm not alone here, all six of us are pretty smart cookies. You know, both my parents, my mom and my dad, were um, curious about the world, uh, were avid readers, both of them. Uh, uh, just, yeah, I mean, just curiosity, I think. Curiosity and imagination was definitely instilled in us as a very young age. But then he died. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And at 13, those are like the formative. Oh, my gosh. My dad's dad died uh, getting hit by a drunk driver uh, while he was on his bicycle at the around the same age. And, you know, I don't know much about it, but I can imagine that you know, that's the age when you're coming into finding oh yourself gosh. and middle everything. school. I mean, everything it's oh, everything. So. Yes, it was it was very traumatic for our family. It was we we describe it really as like a train just crashed right into our kitchen and shattered us in many ways. We were I mean, all of us have had a very meandering bohemian experience with educate with formal education. Okay. Yeah. So we've all gotten <laughs> formal education, but it's been a very, it's been difficult. You know, that yeah. kind of, I've learned since that that kind of trauma will literally snip neurons and synapses wow. and make things. And each one of us, I think had a different experience of that. 
my, for me, it was chronology. I couldn't, I mean, don't ask me to remember like this happened and that's, you know, it just all happened. Whatever it might be, whatever the event might be. Yeah, very interesting. It's so, I'm so fascinated by what you just said because I didn't know that and I've been really digging into neuroscience and I love the fact that you can sort of rewire your brain like it's oh, a yes. proven science now, but the fact that trauma can actually snip, mm-hmm. is it, do you know if it's, you're able to gain like a uh, connection again or? With- yes. I, yeah. I think the pathways can be reopened. Okay. And again, I haven't studied this on a biological level, so I don't know, but I do know, I know from experience and I know from others that with the right kind of therapy, with the right kind of work, that you can reopen those pathways. That's so cool. Yeah, you can you can revisit those things and you can put them in context, those events in context. It's one of the reasons why I am particularly concerned about the young children um, going through this time of COVID who do not have all of the resources that they need at home or in, the, in their communities. It terrifies me, honestly, to think of, of um, what they've been subjected to, that lack of community, that lack of socialization, nutrition, education, safety in some you know, many cases for these children. And um, yeah, it's going to be a problem. My mom's a first grade teacher and you know, they just they just caught that. Yeah, a wonderful teacher. Oh, it's amazing. So our parents have that in common, educators. I, know, I love that. I never, I never had my mom as a teacher, though, which would have been right. very interesting. But she definitely yes. knew when I got in trouble the moment I came down. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but she was saying yesterday, because, you know, the new guidelines for socialization and everything, especially in first grade, the the desks are you're, you're you're with a community of kids and you switch yes, per uh-huh. year you know throughout the year but now it's just straightforward you have to have right. a certain amount of feet mm-hmm. and she's genuinely so sad and worried about yeah. that for mm-hmm. them because it's such a formative part of that year of learning oh, yes and, yeah and on top of the mental health you know my friends with kids because you know, i'm so passionate about mental health and just thinking about what this year them going back the anxiety even just mm-hmm, of being mm-hmm. so secluded and and scared mm-hmm. and all those things like all of those things how is that going to affect their neuro pathways and their brain forming you know yes it's um it's definitely childhood is a land it's a landmine filled landscape for sure in ireland was nature a part of any way of healing for you or music? Um, I think the, fir- the first stage of the healing involved fully, almost like exploiting the trauma. I, was a te- I grew up to be a teenager very quickly after that event. And we all did. Um, it was a very difficult time for all of us, my mother included. And so there was a great sense of being catapulted into like an early teenage adult state trying to figure stuff out. Um, Like I said, education became difficult for all of us. Maybe not so much. I have one sister who seemed to be able to really still flourish. She's even brighter than the rest of us. But (laughs) um, and and interestingly, though, now that you mention it, she did study music. Wow. Yeah, pure music in college. And I think there might be something to that, you know, that that somehow was her was something she got to hold on to. But you know, when you're, it's typical of any child, I guess, you know, you grow up in this most exquisitely beautiful place, 
this little village nestled in these hills. The Dun you know, it's the Donegal Hills. They're famous. The songs are written about them. Well, you know, I mean, it's like we a hill. What? Yeah, that's a hill. <laughs> like what hill? But again, with hindsight, I look back on the times that I would go off all by myself for a whole afternoon and just wander up into the meadows and I'd have a little picnic of nothing, whatever, with me and just lay there and daydream and make daisy chains. And I was in The Sound of Music or I was in, you know, I was a great daydreamer. <laughs> so um, I think it's in hindsight, really, maybe that you go back to enjoy those things. Yeah. What's interesting too, talking about this is one of the, John and I spent January and February, most of January and February together in Europe. Wow. So we started off at the Grammys and we went from there to Europe. And the first thing which we had never done before, and, and we have a home in Galway. Oh, lovely. A, a lovely home in Galway. And so for the first time ever, we didn't go there. We rented this home right in the middle of my village in Ardra, County Donegal. Wow. So we were literally in the middle of the village where John was just as loved and adored as he was, or more <laughs> loved and adored than he was anywhere else. All my relatives, I mean, they just, I mean, my God, you know, it's John. And John fit right in with them and with my mother and all of my sisters came to visit and we had beautiful times together. And why did we do that? I don't know. We, we, we made that decision. Let's go. I mean, even saying that now, I have no idea where that idea really came from. Like, okay, let's go to my home village and rent a house and um, we'll just camp there for a week and it'll probably rain every day, but we won't care. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my mother is in that village. She lives back there now. And so I'm so appreciative of making those decisions that come to those those ideas that come to you and feel so right at the time that make no particular sense. But you follow, you follow. It's like, oh, well, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. And you tell, I tell one of my sisters, and they're like, well, that's a great idea. My mother thought it was the best idea she'd ever heard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so we spent that whole time and really had a beautiful visit. And I, and I remember distinctly my mother saying goodbye to John before we left to go on to the rest of Europe and how tender their 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 love and their relationship was i mean he you know she kissed him on the cheek and and he gave her a cross that tanya tucker had given he, tanya had given both john and i these crosses made out of horse nails horseshoe <gasps> nails oh i need to figure out where she got those cuz <laughs> and they're all a different color leather and beautiful i mean just beautifully done tastefully done they're small and he took it off his neck and he gave it to mom and um and when, and I drove off and I always try to keep a little bit of a brave face when I say goodbye to her, cause I, you know, it's hard. But I looked in the rear view mirror and I mean, she was weeping. She was weeping and weeping. She always worried about John. Yeah. Oh, John needs to be taking it easy now, Fiona. Oh, John doesn't need to be running around doing all those shows anymore. And I said, mom, he loves it. He loves it. That's what he does. <laughs> I was going to say, though, that's his that's what's keeping him probably I, as an artist. I understand that it's what you live for. <laughs> it's what you live for. It's what you do. And so, yeah, that was a special time in my little home village. And I haven't been back since, obviously. I can't imagine being away from your family, especially during what you went through. Yes, it's been hard. Yeah, because they're grieving, John, mightily grieving. Um, and I know that they're grieving for me because they, 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 
we were a, we were we're a close family, you know. We were all part of everything, whether we wanted, whether they wanted to or not, or whether I wanted to or not. Everybody was part of everything. Of course, that's how our so family course, is too. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's a good thing. I think it's I, a good. I thing. think it is. Now I'll tell you, from where I'm sitting, it's a very good thing. Yeah, I have no regrets. And you and Sean met in Ireland, right? We did. Yes, we did. How did that all? <laughs> how did he one and done oh, you? That was <laughs> or so, did he? No, he did. It was so sweet. Um, I had seen John when I was 17 years old, actually. Uh, my oldest son's father. Um, my oldest son was born in Ireland when I was uh, 20 years old. I was pretty young. Uh, and I had Jody, and I was working, and I had my own home, and working in a recording studio. And so we were kind of providing some of the back end services to uh, a show that John was playing at. Uh, there were tons of artists or maybe 40 Americana artists coming into Dublin to play these shows and it was film crew. And so, you know, I worked in recording studios and post-production. So that kind of, and uh, we met at the after party. And uh, I was talking to a really good friend of mine, uh, Mary Stokes, who's this incredible blues singer from Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. And um, I said to her, we were talking just as you and I, and I looked over her shoulder and I said, oh, John Bryan's coming right up behind you. Because like I said, I'd seen him when I was 17 and he got my interest. If I don't know, there was something about him that was so interesting to me. Wow. A couple of one lines from songs here and there, and then just his persona. I'm like, who is this person? He looked different. He sounded different. Uh, and I had gone to see a lot of artists, everybody from Van Morrison to Lou Reed. And I was into all kinds of music and, you know, Joe Strummer and The Clash. I mean, it was all I was into all of it. And but there was this little guy from, you know, a little country and Western guy. <laughs> so when he when he was at this party and I said, hey, Mary, John Prine's coming right up behind us. And she said, oh, you should you should meet John. You, you should meet him like like as in. Oh, no, that, that's, that's a really good idea. You need, we need to do this. <laughs> and so he came closer and she turned and said, John, I want you to meet a very good friend of mine. This is Fiona. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we talked for a couple of minutes. I said, you know, I saw you in, in Ireland many years ago when I was a younger woman and a teenager. And uh, he said, oh, really? I said, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd love to see a full concert again. I'm really curious about your music. And he said, well, I'm getting ready to play some music right now over in that corner. You know, in Ireland, you play the music in the bars. He said, what, you know, and he put his arm out, like hooked his arm out. And so we sat, I mean, and the bar stayed open until morning, literally, not quite literally all the way to morning, but very, very late. Um, and we played songs and sang songs. I sang with him. He said, I mean, it was just, and we were just kind of like two people who just found something really different. Like we, I'd never seen anything like him and he'd never seen anything <laughs> like me. And um, he said, you know, I'm going to come take, would you come and have lunch tomorrow? And I thought, well, that's going to happen. Seriously. I mean, we're talking like five hours from now. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just dragged myself into the office and sure enough at 11 AM, uh, I get a call from downstairs. Uh, Fiona, there's someone here to see you. I was like, who? Uh, John Prine. It's like, well, I'll be danged. He made it. <laughs> yeah. And was it instant? Like, was it like, there was, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we need to go. Yeah, we need to go to Nashville and settle down and have a couple of children and, you know, like, you know, and then you'll get sick and I'll take care of you. And then, we'll, you know, no, it was just like, wow, because what I do like to say, because it's the honest thing to say, I have, you know, got to get back to the, the, the bottom base, honest line in these stories is that we were not a good bet. We were not a good bet. 
John was coming out of a marriage. I was, you know, I was not very stable when it came to the, the, the you know, relationship thing. I was really not figured out in that area at all. And so had a lot of pretty unhappy experiences. Um, but I did know I had my job and I had my own home and I had my son and not in that order, actually flip order. And, um, and I just, you know, but, you know, when, when love starts creeping in and knocking on your door and, and kind of um, tweaking at your heart, you know, a lot of the sensible stuff goes out the door. And so while we weren't the best idea on paper, we kind of, we just pursued it. So he left, I think he stayed for three weeks longer than he did first planned. And then he said something like, you know, I think I'm going to come back here for Easter. He, I don't know. He talked about something. He, I said, sure. Oh, that'd be great. Let's do that. And then it, became, it was phone calls every three or four nights a week. It was phone calls. And then he wow. came back and then we said, okay, let's try to see each other every 12 weeks at the latest. And then I would come here and then he would. And so we did that. And, you know, I, I don't know if I shared this before, but um, the turning point was when, you know, we had started talking about like, what would this look like if we lived together? And like, would I find a job over there? And my son would have to transition. I mean, there's, there were so many moving parts. And it was looking back again, in hindsight, something major had to happen in order for us to kind of click into. So uh, we lost a baby at four months old when I was four months pregnant, still living in Ireland. Wow. It was something we hadn't really shared while we were so excited. I mean, this was like, this was going to be our, like, it was a created a little portal to like, this is how we, now we have to be together. We're going to make this thing work, you know? And, and we lost yeah. the baby and it was really devastating for both of us. Um, very, very difficult. But we decided, look, there's kind of more than us here now. There is Jody already. Jody and John already had developed a great friendship at that point. And I said, we, we need to, we need to make this happen. You know, this is, we, this can't be random anymore. We need to. Yeah. So I came here in 1993. How was that? The experience from small town Ireland to Nashville. Crazy. <laughs> No, I was in, I was, no, I was living in Dublin at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was in my early thirties at this point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you had been to Nashville, I guess, back and forth before, but. Yes. I'd yeah. I'd visited. I'd gone on the road with John um, when he was touring um, because I worked in the studio at Windmill Lane in Dublin. I had, I met a lot of musicians and a lot of touring musicians. And so I, every now and again, I remember we ran into uh T-Bone Burnett somewhere in the Midwest. Wow. And he goes, he goes, I know you. And I said, yeah, we do. <laughs> so that was fun. That was a fun part of our uh, courtship, you know, knowing Lucinda Williams. And I met Lucinda in Ireland before I ever met John. And so, you know, it was just interesting. We had um, a lot of fun times. Yeah. And then I moved over and, you know, started that challenge of creating a home. And, and what is that going to look like? And what are our expectations here and how do we do it? And you're on the road and, but we figured it out. How is that? Like you being, and with your children and him on the road, because my husband's an actor and we're talking about starting a family soon. And I get so worried that he'll get a job, you know, in Vancouver or Australia for 10 months out of the year. And then like, sure. Yeah. How was that for you? Um, well, I just had Jody. So Jody moved here with me. Right. And I guess probably because I had been a single mom for 
all of it. Right. It was just that was a natural part. And I'm, and I'm a doer and I'm a fixer and I'm a list maker. And so I was busy. I was busy getting a school for him. Um, you know, John was fine with me just taking the house apart and putting it back together again. Um, like I said, creating a home. He um, initially was keeping up the same pace of touring, but very quickly we could tell that that wasn't going to work. There were just so many dynamics involved in in that lifestyle, as well as the time away from home, all of it, you know? So it took us probably the first year or two to kind of figure it out. But by the time I got pregnant with Jack, Jack, uh, my <laughs> Jack, um, we had figured it out and he was down to working long weekends, which was still a lot. It was still, he was leaving Thursday and he'd come back on Sunday. It was still a lot, but it was a lot better. There was at least there was a regularity and there was a, um, a great believer. I'm a great believer in routine, whatever it is. If it's just having your cup of tea, whatever it is, setting an intention and having a routine that especially when there's children involved, children are so resilient. You know, if they grow up knowing that dad's going to be home on Sunday evening at seven o'clock and we're going to have them all, he's going to bring us to school every day. You know, it's going to be Christmas every day he's here. And it was. <laughs> I love that. He would bring home a, a, a suitcase that he had just for gifts from Toys R Us. Oh, my gosh. Your kids must have been like, party. Oh, oh. <laughs> they would, they'd wait for him to come. They were little. I mean, you know, and they would. Uh, Tommy was born 10 months after Jack. So we had both of them very close together. Oh, that's, yeah, very yes, close. Yes, very close. And you had Jody. You were like power mom. <laughs> Jody was, I'll tell you, one of the best kids on the planet ever. Ah, Firstborns. Yes. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know how good I was, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, he's an incredible human being and is today. Aww. We're business partners today. Who would have known? How is that being uh, in business? Well, you and John together, but then now with Jody, is it yeah. hard to navigate or do you find it because there's such a rapport because of how deeply close you are? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it takes work on both our parts, but I think okay. we are very adult and we do what work we need to do aside what I need to take care of to do I do and what he needs to take care of to do he does you know um so we never argue we never we, we'll debate things we have a very open line of communication he's also the father of my green my three grandchildren so I mean honestly if he was to say like mom I think actually we should just move this whole thing offshore to Bermuda I'd be like sure <laughs> sure take the kids and I'm there yeah you know um He's also one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I knew that from the time he was about three years old. I was very aware of his intellect, um, just in ways that really surprised me. But there was, I was left in no doubt it was intellect. It wasn't just like, oh, he's a smart one. You know, he, he read very early. He talked very early. He used big words very early. He asked questions that I couldn't answer very early on, very early, like deep, meaningful questions. But you know what? His own little son is like that. Oh. <laughs> his oh. little son, we call his name is Little John. John. Little John. His six-year-old son is just like him has the same little knot in his forehead when he's really getting in there to his thoughts and articulating the question and, you know, and waits for that answer. 
<laughs> it must be so fun to be in the grandma relationship now because oh, you get all Beth. the good stuff without having to do like the disciplinary stuff, right? Like so precious and singular and unique and and unlike any other you'll ever have. It's truly remarkable. You know, I joke about this, but not really. You know, I'll say like, I don't care if they ever go to school. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're smart. They're going to be okay. It's like potty training, but why? I mean, it's fine. It's, easy, it's easier to wear a diaper. <laughs> um, yes. And you know, when they first say those words, the youngest one is just going to turn two here very soon. And he's just started saying, I love you, Nona. I love you, Nona. They call me Nona. That's yeah. so cute. <laughs> yes. Do any of them have the musical? Like, are they? Are any of your grandchildren starting to show? Well, all of the two the two oldest ones can actually sing, Aww. in tune, on point. Wow. I mean, John sang. The first time I heard his voice, I looked at Jodie and went, "Oh my god, <gasps> perfect pitch." Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. It is exciting. It is. Family band, like the Von Traps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can just see me in that apron. What are you ashamed of? Unshaming is a podcast that explores the stories of shame through intimate, vulnerable, and raw conversations. Each episode seeks to elevate an underrepresented community that has been silenced by shame for far too long. Although the show's premise surrounds shame, the show is ultimately about overcoming shame. These inspiring stories will compel you to ask yourself, how can I bring my whole self into the world? You can listen to Unshaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I think this pandemic for me has really shown sort of, I don't know, I, you've had even a more intense experience, but just that like, I was always so like, career 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 oriented and then you slow down like you literally mm -hmm. nothing our, my business shut down completely and sure the most important thing was like loved ones being safe and healthy and yes. how like we're yes. all and connection to nature and something bigger yeah. like mm -hmm. yes. slowing down enough to realize that and then to just now know when we go back to the world opening up again I really want to make the priority my relationships you know that's so interesting you say that i have a very very dear friend that lived here in nashville for years and she's just moved back to her hometown of little rock and, and she and i talked on facetime got ca all caught up yesterday and we talked about the same things we talked about how we feel we at least we feel at this point that we're going to be more selective yeah about the people we spend time with and how much time we spend with them um you know honoring honoring the longevity of some relationships, honoring the blossoming of new relationships where you feel there's a, a, a connection and there's a sincerity and there's excitement or fun, whatever it might be. But yeah, I, I think we will spend some time being a little more careful with our calendars. Especially you and me with our real calendar count, like our exes and our, yeah. If I showed you my January, February, it's like, is it just it's like, you you would just say I sure hope your brain doesn't look like that but you know what Fiona you've been so you're so I mean I only know you I feel like I'm like I know you but I feel like from Instagram you're just you're so committed to not only John's legacy but like leaving your own mark in underserved populations and making sure on social media you're highlighting and amplifying voices that wouldn't be heard and I just feel like your your schedule, thank God your schedule is booked for all of us because you're such a light and oh. such a giver in the music community and entertainment and everything. And I I so admire that about you. 
Oh, that's huge for you to say that. And you know, I'm trying to be really, I'm sitting here swallowing and being, be gracious, be gracious, accept it, accept it. You know, because it's, it, and it's difficult and it's not false modesty. You know, I, I hear you and I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. But it's also like, well, why wouldn't I? I mean, here I am, this woman. I mean, I have come from uh, pain. I've come from grief. And, and I'm talking about before. I've come from a lot of difficult times in my own life. You know, I've come from a time where paying rent and putting food on the table and raising my child and making stupid decisions in my relationships. And I mean, all of that. I've done all of that. And so, you know, here I, I find myself in this enormous privilege. You know, I started out in privilege, really. I'm a white woman. I was born into a middle-class family. I was born into a family that believed in education and in the arts and in music, in culture, in drama, in, in the arts. And so all of that was there already. And now here I am. And I have this incredible life. And it would be it's just not in me. It's just, I mean, it's here. I would tell my boys when they were growing up, they used to, you could imagine how well this, how well this went down, you know, oh man, I need a new cell phone. And, you know, I need, you know, can I go to spring break to Bermuda with so-and-so? And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> go in the backyard and pick wildflowers in the meadow like I did. <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, you know, but you know, like, mom, we can afford it. And I'm like, uh-uh, hold on. Mm -mm. Oh, it's yeah. not about that. Yeah. Yes. And I would tell them, I said, you know, we may be able to afford things. We may have money and we may have a lot that, that a lot of others don't. But it's not necessarily ours. Mm. We've been given this and we need to take care of this to enjoy it. But it's also we're stewards of this. And, of course, now as adults, they get that. Oh, they totally yeah. get it. And I'm so... And are a part of it, a beautiful part of it. It's, yeah. Yes, they are totally part of it. You know, I mean, none of my boys ever would even dream of coming to me and say, Mike, you know, what a dad leave and where's the legacy and what's the... No, they've never, not one of them has ever once said, because they know they were brought up from a very early age to understand that this is a privilege and it's, and privileges should be stewarded. And it's all about the parenting, I feel, because I worry about that with raising a family in L.A. just because that was so not my upbringing and Michael's either. You know, we were nature kids and in the woods of Virginia and Connecticut and no cell phones and all of that. And like, I think it hearing you now is making me realize like, yeah, you, it was you and John were the parents and you were instilling those values. And so your kids became these wonderful people because of you and that it's you can do that even in an environment that maybe doesn't always promote that. Yeah, I don't know if it's because of us. I think it's because of how I was raised. I think it's because of how John was raised. It's how So it's a generational thing. But I think, you know, there's also a privilege in having uh, the freedom to do that kind of parenting, right? Absolutely. You know, you're yeah. not going to talk to, you know, I mean, I do have the privilege also of working with a lot of women who are in underserved populations. Yes. And... You know, am I going to talk to them about how they need to teach their children that that one meal that they've just had is not really theirs? It's for like, we have to give part of this away. No, no, I'm not going to say that. No. So you have to, you know, I think we have to be careful about who we are, what we are and what we have, where we've come from and how we can best help the world. And that can be having a conversation with a friend who 
might need an ear and nothing more. You know, it may be that we need to, something that I'm looking at is joining the wonderful Jeff Tweedy in making our own reparations to the black community, the music community. You know, is, is that, a, is that a, something we need to look at? So there's, yeah, and that's not going to mean that I'm not going to be able to buy a pretty dress. Though, honestly, at this point, I, after the pandemic, I'm like, what's a dress? <laughs> Seriously, like go shopping in your closet, Fiona, and yeah. stop it. <laughs> I would yeah. love to talk because you and I share a passion that is, I just love the work you're doing with Thistle Farms. Um, yes. And those women, I, I, can you talk to us about what you do and how you got involved? All day. Okay, amazing. Because. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's an organization I've been working with since college called Children of the Night here in LA. I used to teach improv classes and it's uh, survivors of child sex trafficking um, and a beautiful home. Lois runs it and it's wonderful. But I think there's a lot of similar parallels with Thistle Farms. Yes. Yeah. And let me just say at the, at the top of this that I really look forward to the day when you can come to Nashville and I can bring you to the Thistle, the Thistle Cafe. I would love that. And we can have tea and... Meet Becca, Becca Stevens. Yeah. My uncle and aunt live there, so I'll be there soon. Hopefully. Oh, come on, Beth. Get the vaccine, girl. Let's do this. I I I will. I girl, <laughs> I am ready for this vaccine. I can't wait. Yeah. Yes, I got my first one. I'm so grateful. Um uh, so Becca Stevens started Thistle Farms when it was brought to her attention that women were coming out of prison who had histories of well, initially in prison because of prostitution, drug addiction, they were coming back out of that situation and straight back into what sent them there in the first place. Nowhere to go. And so she, um, and, it's, and it's a beautiful, long, gorgeous story when she tells it, and I would love for her to tell it to you one day, maybe even yes. on this podcast, who knows? Absolutely, but, yeah. that's what I'm thinking, yeah. So she, um, she is a visionary. And I think mm -hmm. it's true also to say that she reacts with her heart and her head together. So she recognized quickly that housing was the first priority for these women. We've got to give them somewhere that is not just a home or a halfway house or somewhere just to kind of, uh, I'll stay here for a couple of weeks and figure something out. No, it's a beautiful home. You have your own bed, you have your own uh, bedding, you have your own dresser to put your, your clothes in, you have meals, you have medical care, you have psychological care. Of course, they all work a recovery program, whatever's necessary. And so out of that model, which is a two-year residential model, the next question presented itself. Okay, so after, after two years, or even before that, these women are becoming whole in body, in mind, uh, in spirit, in recovery, in their health. They're getting tattoos removed, and they can't get a job. Right, because of the felony or whatever, the rap. They yeah. rap these long rap sheets, and, 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 the, and the, the world is not ready for these newly emerged, recovered, incredible women. And so, of course, Becca just, I mean, she has a thought that comes from her heart to her head. It goes, I'm going to start a social enterprise. And I have to say that when she comes up with all of this, we're all going like, okay, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> but she started by making a candle in the church where she served her congregation. And that one candle that's lit still every day for the woman still waiting to come in has grown to a... I don't know if it's a multi-million dollar business, but it is a business that sustains 
almost 100 employees in Nashville at our manufacturing plant. We have a cafe that employs the women. We have a partner, we have sister organization partners all over America that they replicate the model. And so there's this Thistle Farm sisters. And then we also, which I'm becoming more and more involved with it, is Thistle Farms Global. We have communities all over the globe where we, we go, we literally go there, we stay there. And we talk to them about how to recreate this model. We often partner with them because then we'll sell their beautiful handmade items in our store. So it's it's a full circle story. We see this full very much full circle. It's not just about saying, oh, you were in prison and oh, your teeth are bad and, and now you and, and you're going to come out and like don't do drugs again. Just go to these meetings and everything's going to be fine. Well, no. Most of these women experienced their first trauma before they were 10 years old. 10, yeah. You know, turned their first trick by 14. I was going to say that the 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 thing that just blows my mind is even with the kids that I was seeing is like, they're punished. They're sent to juvenile hall when they're right. turning a trick at 14. When right. they were, since they were younger, have been assaulted. You know, they were girls as young as seven at this mm -hmm. home. And you're just Why? like, oh my gosh, it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. Yes. And mm -hmm. my deepest anger about the child part is the Johns are people in power. Mm -hmm. And that is so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. heart wrenchingly mm -hmm. awful mm -hmm. because you, you can't figure out why there's you know what I remember asking the the founder of Children of the Night, like, what why can't we stop this? And and her thing was like exactly what you guys are doing, which is we can only help the women and the or the children yes. one at a time in mm -hmm. a home just like you, mm -hmm. where we can give them a better life and yes. hope for the best and move yes. forward. But so I love I really want to get involved with Thistle Farms and what you're doing because I, I love that. Any voice that can amplify the work and there are so many niches that you can become involved. So right now we're planning an October trip to Oaka where we're going oh, to yeah. talk. Yes, we're going to partner with some beautiful women's groups down there. Oaxaca, the artisan. Oh my gosh, you're going to get the most beautiful arts pieces. I mean, we partner with uh, groups in Peru, in Nepal, in Ecuador. Wow. I mean, all over. I mean, just, uh, it's an incredible story. I love this. Okay, I can't take too much more of your time. I just realized my time is almost up with you. I could talk to you. <laughs> I know, I could talk to you all day, but I have to ask you these final questions that we ask everyone sure. on Harmonic. Sure. So I think I know at least one answer to this question, but you can only bring three records with you to a deserted island. Yes. What would they be and why? <laughs> oh my gosh. I would have to bring uh, The Tree of Forgiveness, John's last record. Oh, so beautiful. Because there's just, there's memories in every groove of, of, that, of that album. I mean, it's just, it's huge for me. Um, I think the second one would have to be a standard country. It might have to be um, maybe a compilation country. Can I have a compilation? Sure. Of, um, you know, a lot of the women of country, my adore. Um, so that would be everybody from Brandy Carlisle to Margot Price. Oh, Margot. Um, yeah. Loretta, oh. Dolly, all of them. I mean, I would just have a whole compilation of all of these women. It might be a double compilation. I want this compilation too. I'm like, can we yes. add Emmylou Harris? 
Alice, please, because she's course. my. That's like my. Yeah. Other than Dolly, I'm like I love Emmy Lou so much. She's my I do. She's a good friend. I have oh. to say that's one of the nice things about coming to live in Nashville. I have made some of the dearest. I mean, these women. All the, the ones we've just met. I mean, I haven't met Dolly. I can't believe I haven't. John did. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I was going to ask you, that was going to be my Dolly question. Do you have any good Dolly stories? Or did John, did John have any good Dolly Parton stories? He just told me she she had the prettiest face that he'd ever seen in his life. Oh. And that it was, uh, that he was standing this close to her backstage at the Opry. Because there's no, there's no room backstage at the Opry. It's famous for how little room there is for artists. And everybody's just packed in there. And um, that's kind of nice because nobody can have ego and they just all have to be like next to each other no bodyguards (laughs) (laughs) all of that so um yeah and i think maybe the third one would be van morrison's astral weeks because john and i played that all all, from the day we met all the way we we still carried it with us for our last trip wow his music from that period is just so spiritual yeah yeah uh, is there anything you wish? Well, I know you play guitar. Is that correct? Oh, el poquito. Uh, okay. I mean, That's like me with guitar too. I'm like, I got the three chords and the truth. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can make anything out of them, but <laughs> I can play them. <laughs> but is there any other like talent you wish you had in like the arts or musically, or do you have, are you a painter? Like, do you have any hobbies we would be I would love to have more time to spend at my clay pottery oh clay pottery (laughs) yes I've I've made several pieces over the years and if I had more time and maybe I will one day I'll get back to it that is such a zen there's something so Mm -hmm. I've only taken a few classes and it was so hard (laughs) I was terrible it is hard yeah it's very hard and but I mean hand sculpted and I mean just yeah wow yeah. When do we get to see these? Put them on Instagram. <laughs> come to my home. I'll come to your home and see them in person. But I love that. What subject do you Google the most? Oh my gosh. What do I Google the most? Probably there might be two things. So I'm always Googling like places to go. I find myself doing that a little bit. <laughs> Especially during COVID. <laughs> or, you know, I get the New York Times and there'd be the travel thing, whatever. Oh. And then I want to, oh, really? That's a place we could, you know. <laughs> so a little bit of daydreaming. And, and then it's really, I guess, how to. Because I've had to do a, little, a lot of fixing things around here, just little things. Um, I have to give a shout out to my right-hand woman of 15 years, Victoria Valenzuela, who uh, has just, she's my family, she's my sister, she's the right part of my brain when I don't have one, and um, she is tremendous. We Google everything, and you know what? We fix it. We get it done. If you could stay one age the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, my. (sighs) The age that I was the last day... John and I were in Paris this past this January. Oh, wow. We were at the George Sank together. It was his favorite hotel. I <gasps> usually let him stay like for three or four nights, but I didn't, I had, I didn't not balk. We stayed there for eight nights. He ordered everything he wanted on. I mean, I even, again, why did I, why did I, I was like, sure, order dinner online at, at the George Sank, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and bring it up to the room and, and have it on, up, brought up to the room and they'll just, they'll just charge like, a bajillion. <laughs> a bajillion. And it'll be fine. And you want to drink Montreux every night? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know why. You know, I, I think, you know, they say some people, sometimes there's a premonition of 
the next portal or whatever that is. And John was having struggles with his hip, not mm. with anything else, just his hip. But it was making him tender and it was making him need my help more. And he was just the sweetest patient. I mean, he would thank me and thank me. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm like, okay, okay, you know, we're just, let's do this. Let's go. I'm helping you. Um, yeah, you don't have to keep thanking me. You know, but he did. He just appreciated that so much. And we had a wonderful time. So whatever that age I was back in January of last year, that's what I want to be. That is a beautiful answer. Okay, final question. If you don't mind closing your eyes. <laughs> I promise I won't do anything crazy. Uh, okay. Go into a blank room. What are you hearing? Birdsong. What are you smelling? The aftershave that John wore when I first met him. Oh. Florida water. Florida water. <laughs> I kid you not. That's the best name of an aftershave <laughs> I've ever heard. It's old, baby. That's an old one. I love it. <laughs> what are you tasting? Ooh, that would have to be an Irish smoked salmon. <laughs> what are you touching? Something I touch every single day. I have a chain with John's wedding band. We both wore these Russian wedding rings. Oh, wow. Um, and a medal that I bought him for safe travels when I did, years ago when I didn't travel with him. And on the back is the date that we met <gasps> and our initials. So I hold that a lot. Oh, that's so romantic and beautiful. I love that. Oh. Uh, the last question is, what are you seeing? But then I always think it's funny because I said, go into a blank room. And some people have been like, a blank room? <laughs> I'm not a smart aleck. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should just cut that ending one and leave it on touching. Well, you know what? I'm looking out at my, my what I call my side garden, which is my mm -hmm. little Irish garden. <gasps> and I'm looking at to all the birds. They're all fluttering around the bird feeders. And it's coming awake. The garden's coming awake. Spring is You know, sprung. it's definitely, yes. The azaleas are coming up, little buds. And even, I mean, everything. Everything's coming awake out there. So the little picket fence. Oh, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Fiona. I could talk to you all day. I just adore you. <laughs> I'm so glad we connected in person. Well, virtually in person. but <laughs> Virtually. Well, it's these days, it's absolutely good enough. Yes. Yeah. And when I'm vaccinated yeah. and I visit my aunt and uncle, I will... I will come to Thistle Cafe and, yes, see you, and I would love that. Please do. Please do. Perfect. Yes. Thank you, Beth. If you weren't familiar with John Prine's music before that wonderful interview, please take a moment and listen. Even as a comedian, his music and his storytelling and his wittiness and everything he stands for has been such an inspiration to me. And Fiona is such an inspiration as well, and I cannot thank her enough for being on. And if you're loving what we're doing this season, please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us, give us feedback in my comments section at Beth Bears or at Harmonix Podcasts. We just really want to hear more about what you're liking, what you're hating, and we'd really love to get those reviews up. So give us a review, a shout out. Hey! This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Our project manager is Shelby Williamson. And it's always made possible by the leadership of executive producer Amy Reitnauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. I'm Beth Bears. Thanks for listening. Stay vulnerable, y'all. <laughs>